0: Welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter.com at Braden Gall. And I'm Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at
1: Sports underscore. What's up, Mike? How you doing, man? Good to see you. Great. Doing
0: better than the uh, Predators are. Wow. See, I was going to... I, I almost feel like I'm too positive. And I think Gover was talking about this on Jeremy <laughs> K. Gover. On uh, his podcast, of course, it's all your fault over there with the Nashville scene in the Nashville Post um, about like how fans are just and we've talked about it on the show before. We're just like, we're, we're giving a lot of leeway to this organization right now because it's all so new. There are some there are plenty of things that we're going to say today on the show, for example, that are going to be positive. Uh, I wanna, We're going to talk about Ryan O'Reilly and Luke Evangelista and the power play. And there's plenty of positive stuff. Also, if you go to Nashville Hockey Now <laughs> and you read the headline of the of the the top article written by Michael Gallagher, you know, the loss to Calgary, giving up three goals in the third period, sort of a microcosm of where this team is right now. But I do feel like there's a lot of grace, uh, I think, is the word that Gover used. Are, are you finding that with your interactions with fans and rea- responses to content, to the podcast, to writing articles, you know, whatever the hell happens on Twitter these days? Is everybody more chill? Is that is that what's happening? Are we back to being Nashville again? <laughs> I think for the most part,
1: yeah. I think because everything's new, new GM, new head coach, new players, new system, everything. Fans are, they have a little, like Gover said, they have a little more grace, a little more understanding that this is a process. It's going to take a little little while to get to where this team ultimately wants to be. Um, but I have noticed there, there's still a segment of Preds Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, that is very salty. Um, the handling of Philip Tomasino the claiming of, of players off waivers that people don't think that the team necessarily needed Cole Smith and Michael McCarron being in the lineup. Like there's still things that piss Preds Twitter and Preds Facebook off. So I would say it's probably 85, 15 in favor of the people that have grace, but there's still, there's still some Preds fans that are not willing to cut this organization any slack whatsoever.
0: Well, and I think there's a slight, like, I think it's a good thing that we've evolved as a market to the point where fans are going to say, look, we know you're in a rebuild, but but we need to see progress. And I, I do think by the end of the season, we're going to see progress. I, I think it's coming and, and there's already stuff we're going to talk about today that I think is progress, but they also are second to last place, two points ahead of Chicago for the basement in the division. They've lost three out of their last four um the penalty kill is among the worst in the nhl and statistically it would be the worst i think in franchise history at under 70% currently um and frankly the teams they've lost to in this stretch like vancouver's off to a really hot start but when they played seattle seattle was 3-5 and 2 when they played them edmonton is I I don't understand Edmonton like as a, as a sports person, (laughs) I don't know. They were two, six and one when they played them, they're now two, they were two, seven and one following the win by the Preds over the weekend, which was by the way, an excellent performance, especially in the second period. Uh, And, and of course, Calgary was three, seven and one when they played them, Calgary, one of the best penalty kills in the NHL, but by and large, not good hockey teams, (laughs) at least so far, we know the talent at Edmonton is off the charts, but like they went, I I think it's okay to balance all of it, right? Like to find the positive, to find the progress, to find the young players, to find the things to be excited about. But at the same time, you know, as you, if you go to, again, go to Nashville hockey now and you pull up the headline there, the very first, the very first article, flames debacle, a perfect example of predators growing pains.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, and we, we tried, we tried preparing people for this at the beginning of the season uh, over the summer we said this is going to be a process it's going to hurt at times and i think it was the the season opener against tampa bay where you uh you text me and you're like this is going to be what the predator season is isn't it where uc Stars basically has to do everything himself and the team is going to have stretches and flashes where it's like oh wow this is pretty good and then there's stretches and flashes where it's like oh wow that was really bad what is going on and i think that's last night was a perfect example. I mean, Calgary is one of the worst teams in the NHL. They were without their leading goal scorer by the way who was serving a one game suspension and you go out you get out to a two nothing lead and then you somehow squander that and you give up three unanswered goals in the third period. You see Saros couldn't do any more than he possibly could. Like you're you're hanging your goalie out to dry. For whatever reason the Predators are on this roller coaster of inconsistency and I I, I keep going back to some of just the lopsided box scores here. I mean, you lose to Tampa Bay five to three, Edmonton six to one, uh Vancouver five to two, Seattle four to two, last night four to two. There's there's an awful lot of lopsided box scores, and we're only 12 games into the season. Yes, the win over Edmonton two games ago was impressive. Yes, the win three games before that over Toronto was impressive. Other than that, your other three wins over Seattle, San Jose, and the Rangers, like those aren't really very impressive teams right now. Seattle does have some potential, but yeah. you you have three wins over. Average teams and two wins over good teams, and then you're going out and losing to the Flames. And you're losing, you're just last night's loss was just so bad. I think it was very telling that Andrew Burnett, for the first time, he didn't seem to have this calm, cool, collected demeanor where he came out and he was like, I'm disappointed in the way we played. Usually, even in the losses, he's been, he's came out and he's been like, Yeah, this sucked, that sucked. We need to fix this, we need to fix that. But he's had like one nugget of like, you know, we may have gotten our asses kicked, but at least the penalty kill was really good tonight, or at least, you know. Philip Forsberg had six shots and I'm seeing probably like whatever it is. There's been like a nugget of positivity last night. There was none of that. He was came out. I'm disappointed in the way that we played. We gave up too many chances. We didn't defend. Well, that was his message. And I think for the first time there, there wasn't really anything positive for Andrew Burnett to pull out of that. And I think that in itself was kind of telling.
0: I, I think it, it to your point on like, first of all, if you beat Peter Laviolette four to one on the road, that's really like winning two games Um, and, and <laughs> beating and, and beating Seattle, like three, nothing in a shutout. Like that's impressive. So there's, it, but even in the losses, like they lose to Seattle, they scored two power play goals, right? Like that, that's a, there's a positive there. I think the key for Brunette is that he doesn't like, I, I think it's about how he wants his team to play. And if he seems, is he, if he sees the predators play the way they're supposed to play, like, do, do, do you know, um, I think football coaches say this all the time, like effort penalties versus doing dumb shit that hurts the team, you know, like those kinds of things. There's holding penalties, pass interference, things where you're like working hard and you just make a mistake versus yeah. versus like, you know, um, roughing the passer or dead ball, personal fouls or whatever. And I, I think he's okay with watching a team play hard, play his style, execute his style. And they're just not all, you know, they're not one of the most talented teams in the league. They've got a lot of young players. They've, they got a couple of guys who are, you know, their second line center and they're one of their top defensemen is injured right now. I think if he sees them play the way he wants them to play, he comes out and he just, he can handle knowing where they are as a franchise. I think Calgary's the like one of the first times all season when you have 18 shots on goal, which is like basically how many Calgary had in the first period. You give up a three, you give up three goals in the third period, squander a lead on the road. You go 0 for 2 on the power play. Like it's, it's sort of ha- that you're on your back foot the entire game. Like they were pressing the issue. They dictated tempo. They, 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 they took you wherever they wanted to take you during that game. And I think that's what rubbed him the wrong way. I think there's, it doesn't look like his style and his team and what the way they want to play. And, and that's going to happen occasionally. I guess I like the fact I'm not going to hurt a coach for being honest. Like John Hines was honest. Peter Laviolette was Peter Laviolette. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not going to hurt a guy for like, Hey, if you're a little frustrated with how your team plays, be a little frustrated. I, I would rather you be honest. And then us like deal with the honesty. Then you would be like Peter Laviolette, just never say a fucking word about anything. Like, just don't like yeah. give us give us something. And I I think that's what he showed you after the game against Calgary.
1: And I think because he has a reputation for being a player's coach, he's probably not going to trash his players in front of reporters and and in the media. Uh, maybe more like a, a typical NHL coach would. But the fact that he and he didn't call anyone out, he just said, "I'm disappointed in the way we played." To me, that was kind of. Uh, I don't I hate using this term sending a message, but to me, that was sending a message to the team like, hey, for the first time, I'm frustrated with how you guys played. And they knew it because he told them in the locker room. But for the first time this season, he voiced that to someone other than being yeah. just inside the locker room with the players, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I, I mean, look, that third period, I think I think we'd be talking about a very different set of circumstances had the third period not played out the way it did. Predators got out shot 11 to two. They got dominated in scoring chances. I mean, Calgary, 61.1% of the scoring chances Calgary had. They got outshot by 21 shots. That was the most they've got outshot since, I think, March. I mean, it, it, everything that could go wrong for them did go wrong, especially in that third period. I mean, scoring chances were 37 to 19, high danger chances, 16 to 9. They lost the faceoff win percentage battle by 10%. Like all the stuff that we know are hallmarks of the Predators, you know winning faceoffs, going out there and putting up a high volume of shots, controlling controlling the areas and scoring chances and stuff. All the things that we are used to them doing right, they did all wrong last night and I yeah. and I don't think it's reflective of the season because they have the results may not be what you want, but but overall the first 10 12 games of the year have been pretty good. Like like the eye test, everything the on-ice product looks a lot better than it did last year. The results haven't come, the goals haven't come and I think that's stuff that'll happen in time. But I think last night was a really good wake up call for them that like hey This is still a team that's growing. It's still, I don't want to say they're young, but this is a team that's still kind of in the infancy stage of the new GM, the new regime, everything going on. And you're going to have games like this. This isn't going to be the last time we're sitting here talking about a Preds game where they just go out and get the doors blown off of them. Uh,
0: They're either super young or super old, it feels like. And then the coach and the GM are both inexperienced, for lack of a better term. Um, So I I feel like that's an adequate amount of um, like, hey, look, they're in almost last place and they just lost three out of four. And 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 like kind of pooped on themselves against Calgary. So I think we can I, I think we can still remain positive and optimistic, give the, the franchise some grace while acknowledging that that there are there's a big chunk of you fans out there that just simply like it's just not like you know you're in a rebuilding place, so you kind of have to accept that. But at the same time, we have matured as a hockey market after this many years and going to a cup final that we're just not willing to accept. Bad hockey too often. And so I I think it's okay to try to balance that. At least that's the job I feel like I have to try to do on the show. I don't know about you.
1: Absolutely. And I I think something else to keep in mind too, maybe this will help contextualize all this. You're you're 12 games into a new season. The Predators have already rolled with 10 different forward combinations and 10 different defensive pairings. So, I mean, there hasn't really been super. Exactly. There hasn't been a lot of consistency in the lineups. too I mean, Tomasino's been in and out. You've had Foodie and Fagimo and and McCarran and Sherwood. Like, there's, there's been a, not a lot of roster turnover, but there's just been there's been a lot of different lineups that Andrew Burnett's rolled with. I don't think he's found the the, the sweet spot of, of the guys that he knows he wants to play to. So, to kind of keep that in mind a little bit too. Like there's been a lot of interchangeability with the forwards and the defensemen. Ten different defensive pairings, ten different line combinations through twelve games. You
0: you hope that doesn't stay up because you're basically switching your lineup every other game. So yep. So you, you um we'll we'll get to some of those different lineup questions. We'll get to how they use the goalies. Uh, We've got some really actually very positive news about the NHL as a whole uh, in terms of interest in the sport and television ratings, I think is going to be worth having conversation with. I want to try to do that more on the show this year because we have not done that in the past where, you know, I'd like to bring in some more NHL national topics to the show to try to give people a better sense of that. I know that we've been in the past, past few seasons, sometimes extremely narrowly focused on the Preds, but I want to try to give... Bring in some national stories at the end of each episode. Um, also, we had a historic day in the NHL on Saturday in general. I'll explain a little bit more about that. And I do have two or three like genuinely, I think genuinely positive developments for a for a variety of reasons that I think we're, we're gonna get we're gonna get into that as well. But before we do, Michael Gallagher of Nashvillehockeynow.com, the gold standard is brought to you by our favorite people over at Jaspers. They are our favorite people. Shout out to Elliot, who whipped my ass in fantasy hockey this week. Nine to two. I got four points this week, Michael. That being said, go to Jasper's. It's a great place to watch Preds games. Home and road. Drink specials. Gold standard cocktail right there on the menu. Free parking. Great place to take your kids. A date. Work dinner. Work lunch. Brunch on Sunday. You name it. It's great. You guys know the deal. Shout out to Elliot, who killed me over the weekend, uh, finishing up on Sunday. Uh, I am still not in last place, and I'm still not in second to last place, because that belongs to who, Michael Gallagher? I'm assuming myself and Gover. Assuming? Don't act like you don't check it every single day and that you're not working extremely hard to make this thing successful.
1: I think the fact that I had a goaltender and a defenseman that are both on long-term IR in my lineup up until two days ago shows that I have not been checking it every day. But I will say, for those of you that are playing me in fantasy now, you have been warned. I have a fully functional lineup oh. that, are, that are not on LTIR. So I, I, I probably still will lose. But, hey, I have Leon
0: Dreisaitl, so that gives me a chance. You did lose to John Hines' entertaining system last week. <laughs> That's just embarrassing. And and I'm playing uh, – shout out to George. I'm playing George this week. So uh, go to Jasper's, everybody. Friend, all of you guys, of course, in that league, friends of the pod, we do appreciate you guys. Uh, for hanging out, but we will talk trash on the pod uh, about the Fantasy League. Uh, (laughs) Currently, I'm in 10th place. Michael, you are in 11th place, and Jeremy K. Gover uh, is in 12th, although I'm only a few points up on you, so I shouldn't really be giving you too much shit right now
1: <laughs> i find it ironic the three guys that talk about for a living are the guys that are doing the three worst in the league <laughs>
0: let's not point that out anymore that's <laughs> not, not to not, say that we don't have talk some about
1: well-informed fans that could easily carry on a great conversation about
0: hockey in the nhl but yeah let's just not talk about it let's just not mention that part you know anymore <laughs> uh, it's just a competition between you and me and and yesterday that's what i try to teach my kids it's just i'm like I talk to my kids. I'm like, no, it's not you versus the other students in the class, or it's you versus yesterday. Every day's a Super Bowl. Just do your best job today, and that's, that's all. A we very, can do. That's it's all a we very Butch on. Jones way to approach life. Oh, stop it! It's more Belichick. <laughs> stop it! It's the process. It's Nick Saban. It's successful. It's not Butch freaking Jones. Get out of here with that garbage. Okay, <laughs> um, I, I do want to get into the the um, some of the li- the questions about the lineup because I think you I think you used the phrase elephant in the room with with Tomasino. Um, and we can get into UC Soros. Uh, they did go to Kevin Lincoln in twice. So we did. We, we were talking about that last week on the show. We wanted to see that happen. And he gets a win against Edmonton, which is which is nice. He made 33 saves. Great second period for the team. Obviously, we'll get to the hat trick in a second here. But I, I think um, the, the lineup questions are interesting. We did mention Parson getting moved down the lineup last week, just defensively struggling just after the couple of goals in the beginning of the season. He's been moved down you want i know you want to talk about some of these waiver ads and how long foodie did make a nice play uh on one of those goals on an assist um against Edmonton but I, your thoughts on Tomasino and Philip Tomasino once again like it's like the the gift that keeps on giving in the content world where we just can't figure out like McCarron and Cole Smith and like it's one thing for Tommy Novak to be in the lineup and have six goals and be like no you can't you can't take him out of the lineup. Obviously, there's a handful of guys, and I know McC- I think McCarron just, you know, and Key for sure would both just scored on Tuesday. But Cole Smith, your boy, <laughs> like what is? But really, what is going on with Philip Tomasino? What is happening?
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of moving parts to this entire thing, and I do have a, a story coming out on Nashville Hockey now. Hopefully, later tonight, if not tonight Ooh. in the morning, Um, it'll be an nhn plus story so for those of you that want to know about it go get a subscription for those of you that are already subscribed you will have access to this and no one else will um by the way of subscriptions 449 per month or 39.99 for year very affordable um but some some people i have been talking to uh kind of about this tomasino situation and barry tried to address a little bit on the radio and I'm not, i don't want to give the whole story away but basically he was everyone wants to know why is Philip tomasino not playing or if he is playing why is he only getting like 10 minutes a game and barry trotz basically said i think he used the 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 number eight minutes and he was like if you're only getting eight minutes in the game like what are you doing with those eight minutes and i think the whole crux of this entire situation is the predators are walking a fine line and i had some sources kind of tell this to me in not so many words that they're they're trying to walk a fine line of challenging thomasino without shaking his confidence and that's difficult because if you send him to the AHL, is that going to rattle him? Is that is he going to take that as, oh, this is another Ellie Tolman situation. I don't have a future with this franchise. Maybe I just need to start work, looking out for myself and kind of I'm not work, I'm not figuring into the long-term plans of the team. Or he might look at it as he did two years ago. He might look at it as a challenge. He might look at it as, as an opportunity to go down, get some regular playing time, get his feet under him, get his confidence back up, actually, and then earn a chance to be called back up and whenever they need him. So that's kind of what's going on. Um, again, I'll have a more detailed story on this on Nashville hockey now, but basically, but- the Predators are trying to figure out the best way to get him to respond to them without like ruining the kid's confidence. And you have the argument like is, is is it better for him to be playing regularly in Milwaukee, or do you do you kind of keep him on the bench and hope that watching some of these other guys like Foodie and McCarron get the playing time that he thinks he deserves? Do you think that's enough to light us a, a fire under him to kind of get him the, the next time he is in the lineup to actually produce?
0: So if you look at the – I'm going to throw some very uh, cherry-picked stats out just for the sake of having some fun here. Uh, over the last six games, Philip Tomasino has only played twice. The Predators have won both of them. The other four games, the Predators have lost. Am I saying that Philip Tomasino is the reason they won those two games? No, Michael, I'm not. But the Preds record with him in the lineup, 2-0. and Preds record without him in the lineup, 0-4. Uh, Just forget about all the other games before that, but (laughs) just he he played seven minutes and 55 seconds against Toronto after not playing for three games. Then he didn't play in the loss to Vancouver and Seattle. He played 11 minutes and seven seconds. I think he had one shot on goal uh, in the Edmonton win and he did not play against Calgary. So I'm kidding about those stats, obviously, but I wanted to get the numbers out there for people to understand. I do have a question for you and I, I don't know if this makes me sound like an old, like middle-aged father, but I, we talk about confidence a lot for highly paid professional athletes. And I say this about the quarterback position in football, even at the college level, where I have a lot more sympathy for the athletes maturity because they're college kids, right? 18 to 22 year old kids. But um, I have a big, uh, there's a, there's always been this longstanding thing about quarterback play in football. And I realized I've maxed out on my football references for the show now at number two, but basically people are like, oh, you don't want to throw a kid out there too early and break his confidence. And I've sort of come around on, and again, maybe this is because I'm getting older and I think kids are soft these days. <laughs> I think my kids are spoiled and soft these days. I don't know what it is. But in the last couple of years, I've come around on, look, if if you throw a quarterback out there in the NFL or in the SEC at the highest levels and they don't succeed. And that and because their confidence is is a little weak or or a little tested that that, that 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 that's what's ruined. that would ruin their career. My argument is that you are not a starting quarterback, then. Like your job as a starting quarterback is to handle the adversity and the pressure. And so I'm curious. I, I totally understand the argument about Tomasino playing minutes in Milwaukee. Any player playing minutes, being regularly used in a role, doing things, doing hockey things in a game for 12, 14, 15, 16 minutes a game in Milwaukee or 10, 12 minutes per game in Nashville, in in the NHL. I understand a guy needing minutes. I, I, I sort of, and again, tell me if you think I'm just being an old man here. I don't think you should be coddling the egos and the confidence and this is not directed at Philip Tomasino specifically. It's directed at all professional athletes. <laughs> if you are getting highly compensated to compete for your career and your job for an organization that is your job to work for, I don't know why why, you're, why we have to be so delicate with the confidence. I If you're not playing minutes and you're sitting on the bench and all you're doing is getting some practice reps and some morning rushes and some morning skates, I can see how you're not going to develop and you're not going to get better. I, I don't know why sitting on the bench watching would destroy your career because your ego can't take it. Does that make sense?
1: No, I, I think there's merit to what you're saying. And I and I get the point you're trying to make. <clears throat> I I do think this situation is a little bit different because just, just from the people I've talked to, the sense I get is they're not they're not worried about like ruining his confidence and that ruining his career. They're worried about him, I guess, if a better way to phrase it might be mentally checking out on the team or mentally checking out on the season.
0: But aren't you I mean, paid money to not do that? That is your job.
1: You are. But he also he I mean, if you're Tomasino, you have a real life case in point that happened two years ago of a player going through almost an exact situation where there's no room for you in the lineup. The only difference is Tolman wasn't waiver exempt. So I think if you're Tomasino, it's going to creep into your mind of like, oh, hey. Ellie told when it was 22, when this happened to him, they couldn't find a room and they couldn't find a room in the lineup for him. They just kind of exposed him to waivers and let him go. Like, and and we've talked about it over the summer. I mean, there's still whispers of Tomasino possibly being a trade chip at some point, too. I don't think I have to worry about that right now. But I think there's a, there's a lot of things going factoring into this decision in this situation. You also got to keep in mind, too, this is a 22-year-old kid. Like he's only been able legally allowed to drink for one year. Like he's still, I'm not saying like you got to coddle him, but he's still very much a young player who's still getting used to being a professional hockey player. Like when I was 22, I don't know if I could have handled what's going on. What, what he's I, having to deal with. Look, look i so look. I'm, not, I'm not, again, I'm not saying coddle him and I don't think they're worried about like re- shaking his confidence that ruining his career. I think that I think what's going on is they're worried about potentially losing him or him somehow getting it in his mind that Andrew Burnett doesn't want him in the lineup and he's never going to have a spot here as long as Andrew Burnett's head coach. I think they're worried about creating a rift between Tomasino and the organization more so than they are like of ruining his career because his
0: confidence is a little shaken. Well, then I feel like they're doing the worst possible thing, which is not playing him anywhere. Um, But but uh, just to, to... I mean, to I agree. The- how, how do you expect a kid to show you what
1: he can do and get right, better, right, progress, right, and develop if you don't right. play him?
0: And, and if you send a player... Again, this is where I, I guess I would land on this. If you send a player down... And all of a sudden, you're and you're getting to your point. I When I was 22, I could not have handled all of the stuff that professional athletes have to handle. You just said you couldn't either. Guess what? I didn't make $832,000 to handle that shit. Like that is the job, dude. Like that's the job. And if you get sent to Milwaukee, you can either pout about it. And I'm not, none of this is, by the way, I'm not saying any of this is what Thomasino's doing. I, I am, uh, this to me is more of a broad conversation about handling young athletes more than anything else. If you send a player down to Milwaukee and he it pouts and struggles and checks out and doesn't work hard, that is called not doing your job. <laughs> like you, this, you are paid $800,000 to not pout in no other line of work. If you were making 50 grand at 22 years old you and you're, and again, this is where maybe I found like an old man who's yelling at clouds, who's telling kids to go out, you know, touch grass, but like guess what children your boss is going to tell you to do something one day and you're not going to be allowed to give him any feedback or her any feedback. And it's, you're just like, sometimes I feel like, like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) Like you get paid $800,000 to go down there and suck it up and work harder. And again, I'm not saying that that's what his attitude is. That's not at all what I'm saying. I, I just, I have come around. And again, I think it's becoming a father getting older, where I just go, if your confidence is shot as a starting quarterback because you had a couple of bad games, then you ain't the dude, man. <laughs> you just ain't you ain't the guy. And if Tomasino or anybody gets sent back down to Milwaukee and it destroys their career path and they need to go somewhere else, then I don't want you on my. I don't want you in my organization at that point. And, and maybe again, maybe that's maybe I'm still just outside yelling at clouds. <laughs> I
1: don't know. No, I mean, I get what you're saying. And th- there's been no indication that Tomasino is handling this this way, that he's upset, right. that he's disgruntled, any of that stuff. For all we know, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he's basically sitting there taking the coaching and he's doing everything that he needs to do. And he's doing everything right, waiting for the next chance he gets to the lineup. Absolutely. I, I Absolutely. think this is, I think this is at an organizational level. They're at a point now where they, where they have to decide. What is the best thing for his career in the long run? And if, it, if it's going to Milwaukee, I think there's a really good chance we see that happen when they get back from the road trip. I, I, I'm not sure how long he's going to be down there if he gets sent there. I'm not sure what the plan is. If they're just like, hey, go down there, play like 10 games or so. And as long as you score some points and whatever, we'll call you back up. Like, there might, who knows what's going on with the situation? But I do think that that's what the organization is worried about right now or maybe not even worried about what they're trying to evaluate right now is Philip Tomasino. Does he have a spot on, on this roster long-term because you see when the games he's played this year, he's playing out there with the Michael McCarrans and the Jakob Trenens. I mean, you, you want the kid to produce like a top six forward while playing him in a bottom six role. It just doesn't add up. I I feel like they're demanding a little bit too much from him. And that's got to be frustrating for him, too, because they, they they sit there and they talk about that he's not producing as many shots as they want and he's not cashing in on the scoring chances that they want. Well, how do you expect him to do that when he's getting eight minutes a game playing in the bottom yeah. six? Like you need to put him in a position to succeed. And honestly, the best thing for him right now might be to go to Milwaukee and just get some confidence back, play some regular minutes, and- be in the top six down there. And then you get called up. Look! Look at last year. He produced pretty well last year at the end of the year because there was no pressure. They needed him. They had so many injuries. They needed him, and he went out there and he had four power play goals, like fifteen points in thirty games or fourteen, something like that. Like when there's no pressure on him, that's they want him to play like that. But they can't yeah, expect yeah. those results because they're putting too much pressure on him.
0: Luke Evangelista, twenty one years old, makes eight hundred thousand dollars a year. I have no questions about his like. Confidence or focus or whatever, like, and I'm again. I'm not even saying that I have those questions about Philip Thomasino. You know, to I'm be saying, fair,
1: though, over the summer there was really no question about whether Luke evangelist was going to make this lineup. There was no, no. Thomasino. You know. uh,
0: well, uh, I again. So what? I I don't. You're you get paid a whole lot of money. Like again, what's the generation behind us? Like Gen Z, Gen Gen Y. I don't know what whatever the generation is. I'm a millennial technically. I don't like that, <laughs> but I am. Um you're gonna ask. You're gonna be asked to do things you don't want to do in this world. It's called life, and going down to Milwaukee, getting demoted, and humbling yourself. And again, I'm not suggesting that any of this is what Philip Tomasino is being asked to do or is going to be asked to do. Uh, none of this is about him personally. I, we have this conversation with hockey players a lot. Some of that, and I am not dumb to this some of that is that hockey players are drafted at a very 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 young age relative to other sports much like baseball players they are drafted at 17 18 19 years old whereas football players come out at a, at, a, at an older age part of the reason the nba put in the draft the, the one and done rules because they couldn't help themselves they kept drafting immature undeveloped players and they had to protect themselves nba owners from themselves cuz <laughs> cuz they were just drafting you know All this immaturity at the top of the draft, and it kept screwing people up. So I'm not suggesting that people don't mature at a different rate or mature in different situations or that don't need different types of leadership or motivation. All of the psychology of that is very, very real and very important. But at some point, like if you need to be pushed and humbled to refocus and be the best version of yourself, that is the job. That is what you get paid to do when you play a professional sport and if you don't want that pressure in your life go do something else and i I, again maybe i'm being an old man right now but i i can't wait to read the story (laughs) Uh, go to jaspers everybody (laughs) and nashville hockey now go to jaspers everybody nashville hockey now uh, anyway, I, I didn't I didn't mean to get off on that tangent for that long, but I, I just I do feel like we say that phrase or not you specifically, but just in general around hockey. It's a lot about especially with so many young players that have come through this organization lately and are going to continue to come through. Mark Geizo just made his debut. Anybody worried about breaking his confidence? I I, I don't know. Like if, if if that's the concern, then maybe you are just not mentally tough enough for this job. And that that might be a thing. Yeah, but there's it's a it, difference.
1: Mark Del was is not a former first round pick. He didn't have a full year of NHL experience before getting sent back down to the AHL. He hasn't been told over the summer they're going to find a spot for him in the lineup. They're like the situations are completely different. I don't okay, think I don't okay. think it's apples and oranges.
0: Okay, uh, so I guess, think
1: there's a lot more behind the scenes stuff to this that we don't know. And we probably may uh, never. Okay, know, but okay. Okay. I, I think it's it's definitely something to keep an eye on because I think it'll play out one way or another throughout the season, and we're going to find out whether Philip
0: Tomasino is here next year or not. Okay, uh, so I, I think. To your point on reporting on the actual specifics of this particular story, go to Nashville Hockey Now, read the story, sign up for the for the subscription, do that whole deal. I I, my commentary is, again, far more on youth and maturity in general in hockey and young players. And which is a uh, fine point to make, because we're we're looking at eventually the
1: next two or three years, like 90 percent of this team could be 25, 26 and younger like they have a lot of prospects
0: that could be playing on this team the next two or three years. And you want to know a guy I think it's fair to ask a maturity question about Zachary LaRue. <laughs> like totally fair to ask maturity questions about that guy. So another,
1: another story I'm working on that's been in the works for a while. I'm, I'm. It's very difficult to get people to respond and want to talk about his disciplinary, disciplinary issues on the record. Eventually I will have that because I I'm, I'm emailing and texting everyone I know that's associated with the kid or has any kind of insight. And a lot of them have given me the, we can talk about it, but you can't use your recorder. I don't want my name associated to this and all that stuff. So, well, and and that's something that I think is going to be very, very prudent for them because I mean he's been he's already had what three or four game
0: misconducts and they're they're eight games into the season. So, well, and I recognize fully when you ask young people to play a violent game that that you are asking people to walk at a young age a very fine line, right? Football, hockey you know pick a sport like you are asking them to to be like Chris Mason this always is in my head when i watch uh when i watch hockey because there's Chris Mason always is like yeah weirdest thing about hockey is you can do stuff in a game that would get you criminally charged on the sidewalk <laughs> like and i've i never forget that because there's you are asking people especially young players to do things in a hockey game that literally, you would be charged with a crime if you did outside of a hockey rink. So we are. I, I. It is not lost on me that we are asking football and hockey players, and specifically because it is a intense, fast, aggressive, physical sport, to walk a fine line to maximize all that stuff, but also keep it in check and control it. Right. Like, and with with Larue in particular, that's what he has to learn is how to, you know, and some of the best players in the NHL have been guys that like lose control sometimes. Right. And like some of the most obnoxious and physical and like very successful players in the NHL are the ones that cross that line, like David Pasternak (laughs) or or whatever, like people get pissed off at some of these guys that sometimes cross that line. And sometimes the ability to manage that line is what makes you elite and what makes you great. And so I'm not saying it's easy, but that is why you make millions of dollars and be a famous person because people like us can't do it. (laughs) So I, I, I recognize all of that. Um. All right. What about Saros and Lincoln? And Lankanen? let's 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 move on here. We got some positive stuff coming up. Uh, what about Saros and Lincoln? And you like the fact that they threw him out there twice? Lincoln and he loses to to Vancouver five two on the road, uh, and then of course gets the win over Edmonton. You think it's the right? We we talked about it. We'd like to see him start twice. He has started twice. I think that's probably the way to go, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think the more playing time you give Kevin Lincoln and the more rest you give UC Saros, the better off your team is going to be in the long run, not just for your your playoff hopes this year if you still think you can beat and make a playoff run but just in terms of Saros' Saros's career longevity and i think the thing that kind of interests me the most about the goaltending situation is Saros is 4 and 6 not a very good record but his goals against average is 2.73 his save percentage is is right at 91.1% he hasn't really been playing terribly but but again i think i texted you this he's a notoriously slow starter so is 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 the byproduct just of this being the slow starts he usually gets off to the first 10, 15 games of the season, or is this just kind of the, the gear the predators are stuck in? And this is how the results are going to be all the time, because SARS we're, we're used to him at least over the last two or three years, we're used to him going out there being the the, the goalie that has a 90, a 93 save percentage and a 2.25 goals against average. He, he's allowing a few more goals. He's also like the defense is playing different in front of him. There's a new system playing in front of him too. There's a lot of moving parts of this as well, but I would like to see Kevin Lankin and probably play a few more times. Um, I think he had what, like, I don't even know what his numbers were last year, but I, I do think seeing a more not an even split, but a a, a more um, spread out split of, of the starts would be a good thing too. And Kevin Lankin and I think we saw in the very first game he played, he was rusty. He kind of let in some shots he probably shouldn't have, and and you you need your backup goaltender to be just as sharp as your starter. And if you're if you're playing Kevin Lankin in once every eight games, that's not going to happen.
0: And I'm curious to keep an eye on this as well. The Preds right now are at three goals per game allowed right at that's tied for 14th. So it's above average in the NHL goals allowed per game. If you go back just a couple of years to 2021, I believe um, uh, double check this. Yeah. 2021 season, which I, I, I acknowledge was the weird season, but that that would be like 30. That'd be like 21st in the league. Like nobody more, nobody gave up more than 3.5 goals per game that season. Whereas this year, you've got teams that are giving up over four. So uh, right now, they're on the same scoring clip as a league this year as they were last year. But if you go back a couple more years before that, it, it is, it does feel like scoring is up. So just worth, worth keeping an eye on. When, when you say 2.72, my brain immediately goes, well, that's not, that's not as good as his career average. That's not as good as some of his best seasons. But if scoring across the league is up significantly over the last five years, then that's a reason to... It's context to keep in mind when, when talking about UC Soros. That's all.
1: Yeah, and, and I mentioned the goals against average because kind of like ERA for for pitchers in baseball. Like You hear a pitcher has a 2.0 ERA. You're like, oh, wow, he doesn't give up a lot of runs. You hear he has an ERA north of four. Then you're like, oh, wow, he probably ten- has a tendency to have a bad game every now and then, stuff like that. I think it's the same thing with Soros, too. He traditionally doesn't give up many four or five goal games but they have become a little bit more normal last year and this year than they have been before. So I, I think it's just, I think it's something to keep an eye on too. Yeah. And, and look, the way Andrew Burnett wants to play is vastly different than the way John Hines wants to play. Maybe Kevin Lincoln isn't exactly suited to play and defend that kind of style as well as Soros is. So maybe Soros gets, you know, eight more starts than he probably would have if, if the, if the system wasn't what it is. So there, there's a lot of things to keep in mind with this. So I think it's something to watch again. I think predators fans collectively hold their breath every season because they know Saros is going to be starting somewhere around 65, 67 games. And I think that number needs to come down. It needs to be
0: more 58 to 60. Yeah. 60, 62. I might be okay with uh, the sharks, by the way, 4.58 goals per game this year. <laughs> edmonton 4.27 minnesota 4.0 goals per game uh this year you had the devils at 3.67 montreal calgary ottawa all over three and a half goals per game so again scoring up the last two years so far some context to keep an eye on all right let's get into some positive stuff now on the show go to jaspers everybody so luke evangelista as i just mentioned uh you know he's fourth on the team in scoring. He, he is a guy that every single time I watch the team, he is one of the top names and top numbers I am focused on and watching the confidence, as we just discussed, growing all the time. And I think it's because he is naturally motivated to be great and has an extraordinarily high hockey IQ. I heard uh, Emma Lindgren with with uh, with Gover talking about that, that that's the difference this year and last year is just sort of a, a level of confidence. I, I just think it's all God-given. <laughs> just, I just think he was blessed. With some some level of understanding of vision and and IQ of this game, and has worked. We really get it. Hard. You have a man crush on him. Has worked really hard. I keep look. The guy keeps producing. He doesn't need to score goals. He keeps producing. Um, look, a couple of I think pass- it's also important to
1: note too. He's playing with Tommy Novak and Kiefer Sherwood. That line fits really well with his skill set. So
0: they that would be a good example of the Predators putting a young player in a position to succeed. Uh, agree, but all I could also I mean. Tommy Novak has six goals, ten points, so he's been scoring a lot. And Keith Sherwood is playing way over his skill set. I would argue. I could also use that line as a reason why it's even more impressive as to what Luke Evangelista is doing because he's not playing with the most talented players on the team. He's not playing on a top line with Philip Forsberg. Who by the and we're going to get to this in a second. Those top two, Ryan O'Reilly and Philip Forsberg, don't mess with that dude. Like you got something with those two guys for sure. But I just I'm gonna I'm gonna spend. This has been your public service announcement about how good Luke Evangelista is at hockey, 21 years old, totally composed, confident, sees the ice, another couple of great passes that led to goals in the last couple of games. He's just, uh, just continue to watch and enjoy that guy in a year where there's going to be lots of ups and downs. I think 77 is going to be a guy that's pretty consistent most of the season.
1: Yeah, I think he, I think he fits really well into that kind of the secondary scoring that the Predators want to set up. Like you said, eight points, he's fourth on the team. In scoring, Forsberg and O'Reilly, I think it's kind of well-known. who You can put whoever the hell you want up there on, the, on that line with them. They're going to score. They're going to produce. Um, and I think Novak and Evangelista, they have really good chemistry. Whether Sherwood, I, I do agree, Sherwood's kind of punching out of his weight class a little bit right now. I think he will come back down to earth, give him 10, 12 games, however long it's going to take. Um, but I do think I think Forsberg and O'Reilly and Novak and Evangelista are really kind of like the staples of the first and the second line. Yeah. And, and that's what you want. You want that depth scoring. You want that secondary scoring because you don't just want to be be top line heavy. And that's it. You have some other pieces you can play around with. I mean, Fagimo's been in and out a little bit. Foodie's been up and down the lineup. He was on the fourth line last game. I, like there's there's some players that you can change around. But I think I think it you, you keep Forsberg and O'Reilly together and you keep Novak and
0: Evangelista together. I, I agree with that, and not to belabor the the, the Tomasino point, but Fagimo and Foodie are those two names that you are you'd like to see if you're going to give Tomasino a shot. Are those the two two of the names you'd pull out?
1: Yeah, I mean, also, I mean, again, I don't want to keep harping on this and, and beat the Cole Smith drum, but I just don't see what he really adds to this team. If you're trying to play fast and you're trying to take it to the other team and you're trying to aggressively pursue the puck, you're talking about three things that Cole Smith doesn't really do. He's more of a grinder, more of a defensive kind of forward. The same thing with Michael McCarron. I don't really, I don't really know what those two kind of offer you in terms of offensive upside. We saw Fagimo in his, his debut. He had a goal. He's got a, he's got a really good shot. The upside and the, and the potential is there. Foodie. I'm not really seeing it. Yeah. The kid's blazing fast. But if only if just speed won you championships, then the Raiders would be like eight time Super Bowl champions right now. Like, Foodie has speed. We get it. What else can he do? He's got two shots in five games. Yeah, he has two points, but he hasn't really done anything that's kind of wowed me or impressed me. He can get up the ice really fast. He hasn't played on the penalty kill, which I, I saw a couple Scouts and stuff were saying like that was an underrated part of his game because of his speed. He can he can be frustrating on the penalty kill. He hasn't had any PK time. He's averaging nine minutes a game. He's playing on the fourth line. Like I, I just don't understand what it is you're looking for out of him and that you haven't seen already. And, and look, they can they can put him on waivers and he can be claimed or go to Milwaukee. Like it's not, it's not easy or it's not hard to cut bait with him. But I just when is when is the Liam Foodie experiment going to be over? Is my question because five games in, I'm not impressed. Fugimo hasn't, I, I don't think has really been given a fair shot either. Um, but yeah, the, yeah those Fudy are two had, guys. He had
0: that nice little touch pass though. Yeah. Nice little touch pass there to McCarron. So
1: and he also had a penalty shot where he ended up on <laughs> his ass and completely <laughs> missed when he, he had, he could have had a wide open scoring chance there. So I know, again, I know. there's good and bad with every player, but yeah, fagimo McCarron, Smith, those I think are the four guys right now that if you're going to get Tomasino into the lineup, one of those four is probably
0: going to have to sit. yeah okay. Uh, all right, so let's continue on this positive conversation, which is the Predators maintain continue to score power play goals two against Seattle, one against Edmonton. They did not score against Vancouver or Calgary, but they still have the, they are at twenty two and a half percent. That's twelfth in the NHL. And you mentioned Tommy Novak scoring as some of the the reason that the power play has been better is because the second power play line has been productive as well. Uh, but really, it starts with Ryan O'Reilly and Ryan O'Reilly and Philip Forsberg, and and this is where I think. He's 32 years old, four-year contract. I think we can debate some of the other moves that Barry Trotz made. but And and this guy's obviously, O'Reilly's not going to maintain the goal-scoring pace that he's on right now. Um, but I think a balance can be expected where he's a little bit distributing a little bit more and Forsberg is a little bit more of a score. Like right now, Forsberg has been distributing and Riley, O'Reilly's been scoring. But I, I think his value comes to the team in so many more ways than just, hey, I'm scoring power play goals. He had a hat trick, of course. On Saturday, it's the 48th hat trick in franchise history. He has five total hat tricks in his career, which right now I think would be good for second all-time in Preds history. I think Forsberg has eight all-time. I think Arvidsson had three. Like If he gets one more, he's like fourth all-time <laughs> in Preds history. You don't have to get many hat tricks to move up that list pretty fast. Um, but I thought what was interesting is that we made history as a league on Saturday. He was one of five players to have a hat trick on Saturday. And I tweeted out, I was like, what's the record for a single day? Just, you know, because I was lazy and didn't want to go to the Google machine. And somebody got back to me like immediately with the record. Turns out I checked it. It's correct. Seven hat tricks in one day is the record for an NHL, which happened January 18th, 1984. But five in one day had not happened since 1989. So Ryan O'Reilly, a big part of that. Obviously scoring power play goals. Obviously, he's the top line center, so they're going to put him in both good offensive and difficult defensive positions. The thing that has been said about Ryan O'Reilly since the beginning of his career, winning a cup with St. Louis, and since the moment he signed and everyone who's spoken to him is how incredibly smart he is and what that is going to mean from a leadership standpoint for young players around him, leading by example, setting a, a tone for everybody around him. Forsberg talked about it after the Edmonton game. He is just constantly in the right place at the right time. His like what I think he used the phrase like stick knowledge or something. Like, I don't know what the phrase was, but like stick placement. He just he, he finds a way to he basically scored four times <laughs> in that in that game. Um and if and if if he plays out his contract here, I think he will be extremely beneficial for probably two and a half of those years. And then you know, at some point, age does catch up with you, especially his style of play. But he's he's got. If he keeps playing like this, his trade value is off the charts. To continue to rebuild, so like the the Ryan O'Reilly decision by Barry Trotz, I think we we've got to acknowledge already huge dividends from leadership, production, trade value, power play, uh, stabilize the first line. Is Philip Forsberg is now distributing at a much higher rate than we've ever seen before. Like you you got to give the guy a lot of credit. For what he's accomplished in a very short period of time, and if they can get a winger up there with them that stabilizes the lineup, that's a legit top line. Like I, again, there's a reason Ryan O'Reilly has a ring. Yeah, I think if you're gonna criticize Barry Trotz
1: for the Luke Shen contract, you need to praise him for the Ryan O'Reilly contract. Because granted, Shen only played one game and he's been hurt, and but he looked really bad in that one game. It, Ryan O'Reilly has been exactly what this organization has needed. If you're going to hit the reset button, you need someone like him to kind of be a leader on the ice. And that's something that every player has talked about all the way back to training camp. And and Barry Trotz is like, he's a serial winner. This is why we went out and got him. And and it makes sense. And I think something else, too. I don't think Ryan O'Reilly gets a lot of credit for being like a pretty good offensive player. Last year was was kind of bad. He played 40 games in St. Louis and 13 in Toronto. He only had like, I think, close to 30 points. and That was it but before that he had 20 goals or more in 7 of his of his previous 9 seasons and he had 50 points or more in every one of those seasons. He he's someone who can score goals, he can distribute the puck, he can set up plays, he's got really good hockey IQ and really good vision. Like he does a lot he does he does everything the right way and that's something that is really helping his team and I think kind of we're we're seeing that. Like I, I don't want to, you know, keep going with the football references but it just makes sense. Like everyone <laughs> talked about Peyton Manning was like having an extra coach on the field with just how smart he was and how he understood and dissected and broke down the game. Ryan O'Reilly is the same way. He's like having an extra coach on the ice. And you've heard people like Luke Evangelista and Tommy Novak kind of say that. They're like, you know, O'Reilly brings this leadership and he brings this kind of this hockey IQ that no one, no other player really has. He's able to explain things and he's able to like draw up plays. He's able to do all this stuff that they maybe haven't necessarily had a player like that in the locker room before. And we're seeing it. He's putting up points. He's seven goals and 11 points in 12 games. He's, he's dynamic on the power play. He's helping. He's kind of helping stabilize a roster that really needed it.
0: Yeah. I I think the layers of value from O'Reilly, it just, it cannot be understated what he is doing. And again, for other players like Evangelista, not to go back to my apparent man crush, but for a player like him who plays a similar type of game, not physicality wise, maybe not the same size, but like he sees the game in a similar way to have a guy to to talk with. And and again, O'Reilly can explain all of the stuff he does in an incredibly articulate way. Like it's just and and the Preds have been very fortunate. They've had a lot of really smart, articulate, thoughtful, nuanced guys. I mean, Pekka, Rename, Matias Ekholm, like you name it. They're, they've been this, this organization has been extremely blessed in that department. And Ryan O'Reilly is near the top of the list already. Like I could listen to that guy talk about hockey all day,
1: all day to, to kind of compare. And again, they're, they're different situations, but kind of similar. It kind of reminds me of when the Predators named Mike Fisher, the captain, and everyone just, just assumed it was going to be Roman Yossi because it just seemed like the natural succession there. Well,
0: was and it Ryan was- Ellis, if he was not hurt, wasn't there a good chance Ryan Ellis was going to be the captain? Because he had that it was, that was the- it was
1: between Ellis and Yosi because David it was basically David Poy was getting input and then they were split whether it should be Ellis or Yosi and then Ellis was ended up he ended up having an injury the, at that the team. knee but, the yeah. knee surgery yeah 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 but everyone going back to that everyone not everyone a lot of people questioned like why Mike Fisher he's not a twenty goal scorer. he's not going to put up a bunch of points and stuff. But I think the leadership qualities, that's something that's underrated. How many times in his captaincy did we see the Predators would give up one or two quick goals and the Fisher line would be the next one out there to kind of bring them back down to earth and and settle them down? I think that's what Ryan O'Reilly brings is kind of this calming presence to the lineup that they haven't really had since Fisher left,
0: probably. Yeah, I I, know. I agree. I agree. I agree completely. And uh, again, if he keeps it, if he keeps this pace up, he is a prime trade chip to a team, a veteran center who can give you some scoring boost at the deadline and for not super expensive long-term contract. I think in a perfect world, he's you, you trade him. He's this productive for two years and you trade him next deadline. Cause I think yeah. you want, you want to help you want him to help you like develop some players and win games this year. Um, but again, if you can get something really good for that type of guy, because he's playing off, off out of his mind, then again, the power play is we, we are now, I mean, again, we're only 12 games in, but we're, we're getting to the point where we're getting to two months and at look they are 12th in the NHL in high danger chances that's that's top third they are 5th in the NHL in power play opportunities that is elite relative to this organization they're 12th i already mentioned 12th in the NHL in power play uh, they are they're only 21st in goals scored but so that means their 5 on 5 needs a little bit of work and that's fine but there's a lot of all like evidence already that the system from Brunette and the offense is working the young players are going to keep getting better, but you have to have some veteran pieces to hold the fort down. And I think it's just the layers of pr- productivity from, from Ryan O'Reilly. It cannot be overstated the value he has provided to the organization in the lineup. So, I, I look, if we're going to say, look, they lost three out of four, second to last place, patience, 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 we got to also make sure we're complimenting w- when it is deserved. And, and he has had a great, great start to his career in Nashville. So, I, people, people are going to love that guy for a long time if he st- sticks around despite what he did in that other team in the central division. So we can all move on. We can all move on.
1: He's definitely someone who uh, I think has been a pleasant surprise. And uh, I know when, when Nashville signed him, there was kind of this uproar in social media, like, Oh, he's 32. You're giving him a four year deal overpaying all this stuff. I think we're, we're kind of seeing exactly what Barry Trotz had envisioned for him. It, it's made the top line better. It's made the rest of the roster better. And like you said, if he keeps playing like this and you get to the trade deadline and you can possibly get a first round pick and a decent prospect back for Ryan O'Reilly, that, that's something you seriously have to consider.
0: You accelerate everything. You accelerate the young players development and you could accelerate the rebuild with more assets. So the whole thing, I think so far, home run higher. Very early. We're 12 games in to a four year contract. I get it. But so far home run so far for, for Barry Trots. Uh, and by the way, coming up, they got Winnipeg on Thursday, Arizona. My, I don't want to say my Coyotes, but I told y'all Arizona was going to be better than you think. Again, pretty early in the season here. They play Arizona on Saturday back at home, first game home in a long time. They play Anaheim uh, on Tuesday the following week. Uh, Winnipeg 29th in the penalty kill. Take advantage of that, boys. Uh, Arizona 25th, in the penalty kill, take advantage of that, boys, and then Anaheim 17th. So three bad penalty kills, two really bad ones coming up. A perfect opportunity to get healthy and to get some points and to collect a couple Ws and kind of erase and, and wash that that Calgary third period out of your mouth. So uh the Coyotes
1: okay. have just always had the Predators' number. How much worse is it going to be? They actually have a good team. I mean, Clayton Keller is killing it. Nick Schmaltz is on fire. Logan Cooley, Logan Cooley is really good. Like. I, I'm just I'm just hoping the Saturday game isn't like a seven to three game blowout because Arizona I, I don't have the ac- actual numbers but it just seems like they always have Nashville's number oh, yeah. and they have a really good team I'm just hoping that's not a blowout game
0: No I mean well what is it the la- was it like didn't they score with like ten seconds to go in the last game of the season to move them down f- from like the seventh seed to the eighth seed and it forced them to play Colorado and like they haven't like won a playoff game <laughs> series since then or something like that Yeah uh, Arizona is always like a and they and, and Arizona beat him in the 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 weird three three game uh bubble series. So or whatever that that the I the I've playoff erased.
1: series that wasn't that didn't actually count towards the playoffs. It
0: did count. I just erased all of the pandemic from my memory because that's how I maintain mental health, Mike. Okay. Uh go to go to Jasper's, go to Nashville Hockey Now, sign up for a subscription. Uh, also a good way to maintain your mental health. Some beers at Jasper's read some Nashville hockey now. That'll do the trick. Uh quickly here to wrap up. Um I saw. I I was listening to. I saw some numbers about this, and this is kind of like a a little bit older, like a two, like two weeks ago. They think they did this, where ESPN put on the Frozen Frenzy, uh, which is all 32 teams playing on the exact same night. And I kind of saw some promos for it, and I didn't really realize it was happening. But the numbers have come in on what actually happened, like in terms of viewership. And I think this is really positive, good information for good trend lines for the NHL in general. Uh, It was a triple header. They had a whip around show. The Toronto Washington game was the most watched game with a Canadian team in the United States. So U.S. ratings. So because we don't have ratings for Canada, but it is the most watched game in the United States regular season with a Canadian team in six years. We're talking October in the middle of football season here, right? I, I guess it was I guess it was late October when they when they did this. Um, 918,000 viewers was the the peak viewership, which is also off the charts in general for an October hockey game in general. The first month and a half of the season is up plus, plus 26% growth in audience across the board for the NHL, according to ESPN. And if you watched, I did not realize they did this last March, but that big city greens classic where they turned them all into animated kids. Basically, it looks like a video game from like. I don't know when, what year, maybe like early two thousands, but they made it a, a product that is for young fans, like truly like seven, eight, nine, ten year olds. Um, that was the Rangers and the Capitals, I think, and the and they have their own broadcast team, and the whole thing is sort of real life but animated. That's the NFL stole that from them this year, and that's the where the Toy Story game came came from. I did not realize that the NFL stole that from the NHL last year. I just, I guess, I just missed that last March like it's hard to get creative with hockey to to come up with new ways to grow the audience but they've done a few things in the last 12 months last eight months that have been incredibly successful and i think it's worth noting and i don't want to be the one that says like good job gary bettman that's not a phrase i like saying (laughs) but but you got to give him credit for the creativity uh with the with the animated thing. And then the frenzy thing, I bet you, they do this a lot more, whether it's the end of this season or next year, I bet you see a lot more of this kind of creative stuff because it clearly worked and more people are watching hockey, which is good.
1: Yeah. I think you, you kind of have to get creative when you're technically considered the fourth most popular professional sports league, but a lot of people don't really consider you the fourth most popular professional sports league. And it's something that I know when they announced the, the frozen frenzy, some people were kind of had their, were, their trepidations about it. Like, oh, it seems a little gimmicky. I don't know how that's going to work. And, and, and to a degree, yeah, it was a little gimmicky. But the, the way society is now with the cord cutting generation and people's attention spans being as small as they are, you, you kind of have to be a little gimmicky to get their attention and hold their attention. And if you're trying to increase the ratings, increase advertising revenue, just get more eyes on the product, Because the NHL is a fantastic product. I wasn't a fan of hockey until I went to my first live game back in like 2010, I think. And being there in person, that's what sold me. And I think a lot more people would have that experience. It's kind of, it sounds corny, but give hockey a chance, basically. And and Gary Bettman doing some of the stuff, it's very creative the nfl you know it's a good idea if the nfl is stealing it from you (laughs) right Right. and if you're trying if you're trying to get a younger generation interested in it you you have to do some of that stuff i i'll admit i think the the nickelodeon slime stuff and the toy story thing is a little weird and it's just kind of i don't know it turned me off a little bit but i understand if you're trying to get you know, a
0: six-year-old to watch the game yeah
1: if you're, if you're trying to get a six-year-old or an eight-year-old or someone in that in that age demographic to watch a game but it's a it's a great way to do it so
0: did you did I, you see i agree
1: I, I don't like saying good job gary bettman but i think it's kind of deserved <laughs> at, the, at this juncture because we're, look we're we're all journalists yes but we're all fans of the nhl we're all fans of the sport of hockey and yeah. the more people that watch hockey the better it
0: is for everybody uh gary Bettman must have gone to jaspers when he was in town for the draft that's probably where he got all those good ideas having a couple pops uh came up with some good ideas um i don't know if you've gone back did you watch the toy story thing that the nfl did like for those that don't know like it is in a it's it's its own broadcast like they have their own broadcasters now they're not on the screen but like sometimes they would cut to them and they're like cartoon characters but like i went back and watched the the hockey one because i had not seen it And they've got the rink like set up in a downtown city scape where like at one point the zoo, like all the animals break out of the zoo and they run up to the rink and they're like watching the animals are watching hockey. And one end of the rink is like a bunch of dumpsters. (laughs) And the broadcast is like professional broadcasters, but done with like sort of a script to, to gear towards the younger audience. It's really fun. It's really creative. As a father of a seven and a five year old, like they they enjoy that kind of stuff. And I showed it to them and like they enjoyed it. And so it's, I think it's kind of ingenious because you're combining like yeah. the elements of a live
1: broadcast, live sports broadcast with like the, the, the optics of a video game. And that's what really draws in a younger crowd is, is yeah. anything that's video game related.
0: Well, it, and it truly does look And the toy, the toy story one really did look like Andy's bedroom. Like it was like, truly the hockey one was a little different because it wasn't as like polished as the toy story one. I mean, the NFL is bigger, has a bigger budget probably, but the, I, I went back again, went back and watched it. I thought it was really, really well done the little the little animated hockey players shooting the puck it looks like like NHL 94 but like Pixar it was it was very well done and again to your point if the NFL steals your idea you've done something right so either either way ratings were way up for that frozen frenzy weekend thing so i think you can expect to see a lot more of that i don't know what else they've got up their sleeve but the NHL has to keep trying this stuff keep doing this stuff and uh again maybe you can fix the blackout issue on ESPN plus <laughs> That
1: would be fantastic because the blackout be the ESPN plus blackout is one of the most frustrating things in the
0: world. Well, and and Bally Sports streaming across the country was had has had some major issues recently. So, um got to do a better job of that that stuff. I I talked to one of my buddies who's an avid listener. Shout out to my guy Grant and he's like, "Yeah, I was I couldn't even watch the game. I was trying to watch the Preds. on I paid the $20 to Bally's and I couldn't even watch the game the other day." And I was like, "Hmm. Gotta get that one worked out. Either way, not we're not gonna end on a bad note. We're gonna end on a high note. Uh, Nashville Hockey Now, uh, you got the Tom story coming up. Uh, you got the daily, uh, you got your daily recap of all the news for Preds, so make sure you go try check out Nashville Hockey Now and please sign up for a subscription there. Go to Jasper's, of course. Uh, and where can the good people find you? On twitter.com. Yes, twitter.com at mgsports underscore at NSH hockey now as well. There you go. You can get to me at Braden Gall as well. George, I'm coming for you, dude. You better set your lineup. I'm coming for you. Uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. We will talk to you next week.